0: If you now make Trump and Cruz, I think you get the same outcome. You know, whether it's death by being shot or poisoning, does it really matter?
1: Shot or poisoned, that's what it's coming Well, for. I don't know why I came here tonight. Why? I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the left of me to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you yep. yes, I'm stuck in the middle from with Pacifica you. Radios KPFK in, in Los Angeles this is, is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ in the Central Coast and 106.7 FM queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in snowy Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, ninety-three FM, WLRI. Out in sunny Hawaii on eighty-eight point five FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui. And up on, uh, well, well, usually cold Minnesota, AM nine fifty, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe. On kpfk.org, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, oh, Snowy Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik. Five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow. From Bradblog.com, thank you for joining us today, tonight, whenever you are, uh, well, I was going to say whenever you are lucky enough to tune in. But whenever we are lucky enough to have you tune in, Uh, I know that a a huge number of our listeners today are uh, either battling snow or hiding from it inside on the East Coast as Snowzilla is that what they're calling this one, Desi? That's Doyen? one of the many ones. One I also many,
0: heard David yeah. Snowy. D-
1: David Snowy? Yes, somebody. I don't somebody get For propo- David Bowie. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, that's it. it's an well, homage, that's kinda, <laughs> but that's kind of sad. No. Uh, yeah, I know that a lot of people are uh, are 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 huddled up by the uh, by the fire. At least I hope. And uh, we'll we'll try to give you something to huddle up to the radio hearth with uh, today. Got a lot of stories to cover from all over the place, including and and starting with this uh, unbelievable storm. At least as it's predicted, we will see how this unfolds. This does not look like it's going to be good. The Capital Weather Gang. This tweet, I think, is actually I think this is from Facebook last night, said this is obscene. The latest GFS model run is forecasting widespread 30 to 40-inch snow totals for the region. 30 to 40 inches? I've never seen a run like this, said uh, Capital Weather Gang winter weather expert Wes Junker. He's not sure it's realistic, and it's also higher than all of the other models, but it suggests that the high-end potential of the storm would be something historic. So uh, 30 to 40 inches. Really? We'll see if that comes to pass. That was just one model. uh, And as they say, the higher end. But this looks like uh, for reals this time.
0: Yeah, a real monster storm. I think that's why they were calling it Snowzilla.
1: Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where we have our uh, WLRI affiliate. I, I looked them up. And indeed, they are in that target zone, as I mentioned yesterday, with as much as two feet of snow. Out in Brooklyn at our affiliate Radio Free Brooklyn, they're supposed to get one foot with wind gusts up to 50 miles per hour. That's the thing. This is not just a huge amount of moisture, but uh, huge wind gusts are said to uh, accompany this uh, storm in various places. Coastal flooding out there in Brooklyn up to four feet above four feet above normal high tides.
0: Right, that's because it's happening during a full moon, which increases the high tide, uh, kicks it up several notches. Unfortunately, and the D- the D.C. office of the National Weather Service has issued the first blizzard watch uh, since 1986. They really? don't get blizzards that often in D.C., but this is this is the one, and D.C. right now is the bullseye.
1: Well, good. Because they need it, because Senator uh, what's his name, Inhofe from Oklahoma. He, yes, he needs some more <laughs> he needs snowballs to, make more to throw snowballs. in the Senate so he right. can
0: pretend like climate change isn't happening. Doesn't
1: exist. I wonder what, you know, wh- will they realize or will they just view this as another snow event? Ah, it's snowing, therefore there is no global warming, as, well, wh- as they like to do. Or will they realize that when there's two feet of snow something unusual is going on here?
0: I don't think they will notice that. I think that they're paid not to notice that.
1: The verified Department of energy press staff this is energy press staff tweeted uh forecast update there is an increasing likelihood of hearing some really dumb things about snowstorms disproving climate change that's from the doe
0: i know getting a little cheeky there yeah. aren't they <laughs>
1: yes they are um so uh well we'll see what happens uh but uh, anyway you've got the broadcast to warm you up Around the radio hearth. Remember when they used to see those old pictures of people looking at the the radio? They used to watch the radio instead of the TV. That's how I imagine our listeners. (laughs) Okay. Tonight.
0: (laughs) You do that. (laughs) Warm on
1: up to the hearth. (laughs) Speaking of obscene climate change, uh, which we could have and uh, should have done something about long ago. Uh, the o- the Obama administration had a uh, a, b- a bit of a victory in federal court on uh, on Thursday in regard to their clean power plan. This is uh, a federal appeals panel on Thursday rejected an effort by 27 states and dozens of corporations and industry groups. I wonder which 27 states those were. you think they're run by uh, controlled by Republicans? Yes. 27 states, dozens of corporations and industry groups to block the administration's signature regulation on emissions from coal po- coal-fired power plants while a lawsuit moves through the court. So while we're wondering, where is all this moisture coming from? Where is all this warmth coming from? Why are we having this ex- insane, extreme weather as we've been seeing for the last, well, for quite a while, but certainly over the holidays and now with this storm? Yeah. Climate change. And President Obama has been trying at least to do something about it. And uh, his Clean Power Plan is meant to do exactly that. But it's being challenged by these uh, by these Republican states and their cronies in the uh, in the fossil fuel industry. Obama's plan here to tackle climate change, known as the Clean Power Plan, would require each state to significantly cut greenhouse gas pollution from electric power plants the nation's largest single source of such emissions. Once fully in place, uh, the regulation, if it's allowed to move forward, and right now the appeals court says, yes, it is, once in place, it would cut emissions from existing power plants by 32 percent from 2005 levels by the year 2030, and it could transform the electric electricity system in the country, closing hundreds of heavily polluting Coal fired power plants and sharply increasing production of wind and solar power. Twenty seven states, many of which have economies that rely on coal mining or coal fired power right now, have sued the administration to kill the entire plan. This thing will ultimately be decided by the Supreme Court. But you know, I'm I'm looking at this uh, Desi Doyen, and uh, th- these coal-fired power plants. Remember how many years we were hearing about uh, clean coal, clean coal. We've got yeah. clean coal. So, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, because you know about this uh, better than I do. As uh, not just our producer on the broadcast, but of the Green News Report, uh, the clean power plan. Does it specifically say you must shut down coal plants, or does it basically say? you guys got to lower carbon emissions however you want to do it. It's up to you in each of the 50 states.
0: It's the second one where they say, look, here's the standard that you have to meet. You can meet it however you want. Um, We have some suggestions. You have to submit a plan. And if you need help, we will help you. We'll give you extra time. But here's the the, the metric you have to meet, and you decide how you get there. And they tailored it for all 50 states so different states have different resources available to them. So it's tailored to each state. And by going through to the court, what they wanted—the utilities and the states that were suing about this—wanted the court to stop their compliance with this regulation as it was uh, going its way through litigation. And by telling them, "No, no, you still have to continue mm-hmm. to comply with this," that means that they don't get those few extra years of polluting for free. They still have to start to implement these these uh, uh, new standards. And so, and what I'm trying like to say, under- ultimately, the Supreme Court will decide this, uh, right?
1: But what I'm trying to understand here is he's not or. Ordered- ordering them to shut down the coal plants. Right. They can keep it going. All they have to do is reduce emissions. Right. And Republicans and the coal industry and their lackeys at the US Chamber of Commerce, for example, one of the plaintiffs in this case have have told us for years that hey, clean coal, coal is clean. We've got new technology and clean. So, why don't if they, they can keep their coal-fired power plants, just use that clean coal technology we've heard so much about that won't uh, include emissions.
0: Except they can't because Why? it doesn't exist. What? Well, they did spend they spend a
1: lot of money on advertising billions, telling yes. us that uh, there was clean coal. so just go ahead and use the clean coal.
0: I know that would be yeah. great. And there are only two plants in the entire northern continent. Of America, of the Americas, that actually have put into place a carbon capture and storage system, and it is so expensive, nobody else wants to do it. So instead of actually doing the innovation, Mm -hmm. they're just trying to sue to stop
1: it. Well, that's a shame, because they could have lowered their emissions if this coal, a clean coal technology was so fantastic. They've been telling us about it for years. Go use it, boys. The uh, Environmental Defense Fund, of course, is very happy about this, and uh, they say that uh, they are not surprised, since the EPA has been able to show that the rule that the the Clean Power Plan uh, uh, rule is based on rests on a firm, statutory, and factual footing, and that the agency built in ample time to allow states, regulated sources, and the EPA to work together to reduce carbon emissions. It should be noted here that the federal court, uh, which says, no, we're not going to put an injunction, you have to move forward on the Clean Power Plan until this is heard. The court also set a, uh, a court date for this to be to actually begun to be heard on its merits, Move that up a bit, so that'll happen a bit sooner. And, uh, of course, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Institute for 21st Century Energy. 21st Century Energy? Really? It actually should be really?
0: 18, 19th Century exactly. Energy, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they
1: said that the, the decision to expedite the legal review of Obama administration's electricity regulations indicates that the court agrees that it's important to review the rules quickly. Okay. I agree. Review the rules.
0: Yeah, get it out there.
1: Yep. Speaking of uh, climate change and uh, emissions and uh, dirty uh, fossil fuels, the lower uh, the, the cost of oil. Very quickly, I want to just get to this because we, we talked about this earlier in the week. Desi he doing the cost of oil continues to plunge uh, lower levels than I think has been since two thousand and four, two thousand three, uh, two thousand and three. Yes, with about thirty dollars a barrel or lower. On average. But uh, you had something we talked about this on the Green News Report this week, uh, something we didn't have time to fit into our six minutes, right? which was that uh, some of these American companies now are actually selling. Their oil, at, their crude, at a loss?
0: At negative pricing, they call it, which is a nice euphemism to saying that they're paying buyers to take the oil off their hands. Yeah. And that is the Canadian tar sands, bitumen, you know, that's that, that sticky tar sands. Bitumen. Step. Bitumen, I know, I have a hard time you saying that. You have to be that. careful when that you say that on the That was selling screen. for 8 bucks a barrel, and that was in North Dakota. A very particular kind of low-quality, low-grade crude called sour crude was selling at minus $0.50 cents a barrel just to get it out of there.
1: Wow! Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now
0: it has jumped up a little bit because of the snowstorm. Uh, <laughs> the the commodities futures traders are like, yeah. oh yeah, it's going to get cold now. Let's make some money. But it's it's very little. It's it's not much.
1: Well, this falls under the category of unintended uh, consequences, or be careful what you wish for. But as the New York Times points out today, cheaper oil d- at this point does very little for the U.S. economy. It used to be that when uh, oil prices fell, this was great for the economy because drivers had more uh, cash in their pocket that they weren't spending on their car. and
0: um, So they'd spend it, it on boost, good and services. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Spend it on, uh, uh, on services that would boost the economy. Well, that is no longer the case, it appears. And somehow this is something that economists seem to have missed. We got this wrong said john c williams president of the federal reserve bank of san francisco to an audience in santa barbara earlier this month as the new york times reports lower oil prices historically were a cause for celebration in the developed world including the u.s the effect was akin to a tax cut for consumers who could fill their gas tanks for less money and since much of that oil had been imported the windfall was generally larger than the uh, damage to the domestic oil producers. However, thanks to President Obama and his uh, years of drill baby drill, because he really has been. Has. Right now, the uh, oil industry in this country is producing, I think we're at record rates as yes. far as uh, w- you know what we are producing. Despite the uh, Sarah Palin and her drill baby drill nonsense, we're doing that. We're already doing that. So uh, when the prices go down, every dollar gained by consumers was a dollar lost by producers. But when the dollars were lost by foreign producers, the American economy benefited. But now it's different because we're only importing about 24 percent of our oil. So when the oil prices fall... Uh, that means that the losses from those lower prices are larger and quicker than expected, as energy companies have to cut back on investment and lay off workers. American In the workers, yes, yes. So the gains are smaller and slower to material materialize, uh, as consumers save some of their windfall. Apparently, this time, for whatever reason, they're not spending it, which I think is kind of good. They're yes. either saving it or using it to pay off debt, uh, personal uh, debt. So the losses among energy producers reflect the unexpectedly sharp downslope after the recent boom in domestic oil and gas extraction. Why would that be unexpected? Don't these people understand the market? I mean, if you're going to have a boom in production, that's going to lower prices.
0: Right. And they can't help themselves. They cannot stop themselves. They know that they have the capacity to drill. They know that the more that they produce, the lower the price is going to fall. And they can't stop themselves. So that's their own fault. They have put themselves into this. And, and what's interesting about this economically is that it does appear that the price of oil and the amount of emissions that we get from every unit of economic activity is now decoupled, separated from actual economic activity. That's a big
1: deal. Speaking of decoupled and separated, in this case from reality, uh, the Republican Party. Now, we've been telling you this week that uh, GOP voters have been warming up to Trump with some 65 percent saying that, yeah, I'd consider voting for Donald Trump uh, for president. Uh, and, And so... The voters are now uh, saying, yeah, we could go for Trump. The establishment, as we've also told you, uh, I think on our last program, the establishment, the GOP establishment is now warming up to Trump with a bunch of senators ringing in saying, yeah, I could uh, I'd rather support him than Ted Cruz. Well, uh, apparently nobody told the National Review because they came out with uh, an edition today in which all they do, the entire edition is. Is set at bashing Donald Trump, and this includes guys who have been always wrong about just about everything. Guys like Glenn Beck, uh, Eric Erickson from Red State, Bill Kristol, the the guy who said uh, Sarah Palin is fantastic. She'd be a great vice president. So they came out with this blistering edition against Trump, just on the same day that all of the establishment, uh, you know, senators and and folks uh, in the party. In the Republican Party, you're saying, yeah, well, maybe Trump wouldn't be so bad after all. Uh, Get your story straight, uh, gentlemen. Take a meeting or something. Put this together because you got now half of the uh, uh, Republican establishment at the National Review saying no Trump. Got to stop Trump. And the other half saying, yeah, well, we'd happily take him over Ted Cruz in the bargain. The uh, RNC now has removed the National Review thanks to this edition of their magazine, has removed the National Review as a moderator of a February Republican presidential debate in light of the anti-Trump edition. Previously now, if I'm keeping track, it's hard to keep track, but previously the party dumped NBC News, dumped the union leader in New Hampshire, and now the National Review dumped them all as debate sponsors for various reasons. Desi, this is a broken party. Oh, it's a party, not just
0: broken, but at civil war, at each other's throats.
1: Now, with the voters warming up to Trump on the Republican side, with the establishment warming up to Trump, it seems Trump is now beginning uh, to warm up to the GOP establishment. Trump is uh, say what you want about him. Uh, but he knows how to run for president. Remember, we told you on day one when he announced uh, that he was going to be very popular amongst Republicans, that he has cracked the code for running for president, and now, after running against the establishment for a while, just long enough to get the support he needs, now he's saying, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, I could go with the I could go with the establishment."
2: You know, he uh, his new uh, line of attack is that I've become establishment. Oh, give me a break. Because Bob Dole, who's a terrific guy, said Trump will do better than Cruz, which is, you know, I believe me, I will do better than Cruz. Here's a United States senator, Republican, doesn't have support of one other Republican senator. There's something wrong there. And I can tell you, they like me, those guys. And there's nothing wrong with that, folks. I told you, he's trying to paint me as part of the establishment. And somebody said, establishment. Well, how come Sarah Palin just packed the Establishment. And you know what? There's a point at which let's get to be a little establishment. We got to get things done, folks. Okay? believe me, don't worry. We're going to make such great deals. But at a certain point, you can't be so strident. You can't not get along. We got to get along with people. Guys like Ted Cruz will never make a deal.
1: So there you go. Let's get to be a little establishment. That was Donald Trump in uh, in Las Vegas at a rally saying, yeah, I can work with these guys. So everything is coming together. See, happy ending as trump speeds towards the nomination just as we told you he uh, most likely would long ago just remember the broadcast never steers you uh, steers you in the wrong direction and that is why i have also been trying to warn that democrats need to be very careful what they wish for a lot of democrats are very excited about the idea of donald trump they think oh we will crush trump um again Be careful what you wish for, because once he's wrapped up the Republican nomination, once he's wrapped up uh, the GOP establishment support, he then turns his eyes towards uh, towards independents, towards moderates, towards the uh, general voting public. If he wins that nomination and he has already shown that he can appeal, he may be able to peel off the uh, you know, the, the the number of independents that he would need. He can change his rhetoric on a dime. He has no problem doing it. Uh, mentioned this uh, back in in December after the uh, this one of the debates. I think it was mid-December Republican debate. Here was Donald Trump saying something, and you, you can bet if he wins this nomination, you're going to hear more stuff like this. It's not going to you know not going to appeal to every Democrat out there, but it may peel off just enough moderate votes when he says stuff like this.
2: In my opinion, we've spent four trillion dollars trying to topple various people that frankly if they were there and if we could have spent that four trillion dollars in the united states to fix our roads our bridges and all of the other problems our airports and all of the other problems we have we would have been a lot better off i can tell you that right now we have done a tremendous disservice not only to the middle east we've done a tremendous disservice to humanity the people that have been killed the people that have been wiped away, and for what I wish we had the four trillion dollars or five trillion dollars. I wish it were spent right here in the United States on our schools, hospitals, roads, airports, and everything else that are all falling apart.
1: That was Donald Trump back in December. He let that slip during a Republican debate, but even then he got some support for it, and uh, I, I suspect you will hear more of that in the future as he turns his eyes towards the uh, towards the general election. If he's able to get the nomination, if he's able to win once people actually start voting about a week from now in uh, in Iowa, where he has uh, taken uh, control over Ted Cruz, who had owned Iowa for uh, many, many months. Now it's Donald Trump. Also owning Iowa, maybe we'll see, is Bernie Sanders. So, well, We'll get uh, to—I've got some—I don't think I have time to get to it uh, today uh, about Iowa and some concerns about the way that voting works, at least some concerns that I've gotten from listeners out there about the way that voting works in Iowa. We will try to get to that uh, soon enough. Um, Also, uh, Trump, by the way, it's not just these early states, uh, New Hampshire, Iowa, where Trump is crushing his competition. He's also crushing them in states like Florida. About— Half of Florida Republican voters now want Donald Trump for president, according to a new poll that shows him with such a commanding lead that he has more than double the GOP support for home state politicians, Jeb Bush, their former two-term governor, and Marco Rubio, their currently sitting U.S. senator. Trump is pulling about 48 percent support, and that is up about 12 percentage points since the Florida Atlantic University survey last polled the race last November. At this point, Donald Trump is simply crushing the opposition in the Florida Republican primary, said uh, uh, the associate professor of political science at Florida Atlantic University. Not only has he increased his lead, Mr. Trump's favorability rating among Republicans are now ahead of his competitors by a substantial margin. This guy's good. He's even able to beat uh, popular Republicans in uh, in their own home state. As I said earlier, be careful what you wish for. Yes, I'm talking to you, Democrats. A quick break, and we are back with an American Islamophobia update. Speaking Woo! of Donald Trump and the craziest bleeping thing I ever heard. That and much more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay warm and stay tuned. Yeah, that might be the uh, Wheaton College administration singing that song about uh, American woman. Uh, I'll get to that in one in just one second here uh, in our American Islamophobia update. But one more uh, quick point or two from this uh, Florida poll. Uh, in a general election matchup, the Florida Atlantic University survey finds Trump leads Hillary Clinton. In a head-to-head race by three percentage points in the state of Florida, 47 to 44. Now, uh, that's well within the uh, the three-point margin of error from this poll, but I wanted to point it out because, you know, a lot of people, have, you know, most of these uh, polls that are taken nationally shows Hillary cl- crushing Donald Trump in a, a head-to-head mashup, matchup nationally, but we don't have national elections. We have state-by-state elections, and obviously the state of Florida is incredibly important. Those national polls also show Bernie Sanders beating Donald Trump by way more than Hillary Clinton, but again, not necessarily state-by-state. Democrat Bernie Sanders generally does slightly worse against the Republicans in comparison to uh, Hillary Clinton in the state of Florida, according to this poll. This poll also found that uh, Clinton beats Sanders by about 36 points. She is just crushing him, according to this poll, in the state of Florida. That said, that 36-point lead is down from a 43-point lead that she had over Bernie Sanders back in November in this same poll. And then the poll adds this caveat uh, that the poll uses interactive voice response technology, robo-polling, which cannot survey voters in a cell phone-only household. So most research indicates cell phone-only voters tend to be younger and lean more Democratic The uh, younger folks tend to be leaning more towards Bernie Sanders, so that could make a difference here. So I just want to throw in that caveat uh, on that point. Okay, on to our latest Islamophobia update. Faculty at an evangelical Illinois college have asked administrators to stop termination proceedings for a professor who was suspended last month over a Muslim solidarity campaign, according to the Chicago Tribune. We told you about this story uh, a, a couple of times. This is a uh, tenured professor, Larissa Hawkins, at this evangelical college called uh, Wheaton College in uh, suburban Illinois. Well, she was suspended and then they moved to terminate her entirely because she had the temerity in December after the attacks in uh, in Paris, uh, the terror attacks in Paris and uh, in the wake of anti-Islamic hostility around the country, she had the temerity to go onto Facebook and announce her decision to wear a scarf, a hijab during the Christmas season in solidarity With Muslims, she wrote, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. She posted her photo of herself in the hijab and she added, and as Pope Francis stated, we worship the same God. For that, the uh, jerks who are the administrators at the Wheaton College first suspended her and then initiated termination proceedings against her at the beginning of this, uh, this past month, in January. Now, Wheaton's, Wheaton College's Faculty Council, a group of professors elected by their peers, have now sent a letter to school officials calling for the college to withdraw the suspension of that tenured professor, Larissa Hawkins, and halt termination proceedings. The faculty, however, expressed grave concerns about the lack of due process in their letter to the administration, a lack of due process in terminating her and some of the faculty have expressed similar concerns that the administration is not listening to them and to their concerns or their recommendations. Wheaton students have been protesting Hawkins' suspension for weeks. Hey, kids, thinking about where to go to college? Don't go to Wheaton College, whatever you do.
0: Yeah, what's remarkable about this is that she is tenured, yeah. and there is a very extensive procedure that once you get tenure, they can't just fire you, and that's because of free speech issues. And so that's that's why yeah. it's so important and so remarkable that they, uh, that they decided to go ahead and try to terminate her position, and I'm glad to see that the faculty is stepping up.
1: Uh, yeah, some are, at least. The administration may not be listening, but uh, free speech, educational freedom. And remember... This isn't even particularly uh, uh, controversial.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: I stand with Muslims because, like me, a Christian, they are people of the book. We worship the same God, just as Pope Francis said. It's, it's, it's not even controversial. But for that, she's being fired. It's unbelievable what goes on in this country when people get uh, frightened on purpose by people like Donald Trump and Fox News, and Ted Cruz and all the Republicans who are hoping to do exactly that, scare the hell out of people. And it is working. The New, New York Times reports this week that a man wearing traditional South Asian clothing was attacked by two men shouting ISIS ISIS as he walked near a school in the Bronx on Saturday night. The police department uh, said that officers responded to a report of an assault at the intersection of Watson Avenue and Pugsley Avenue. When they arrived, when they arrived, they found a 43 year old man dressed in a shalwar kameez. Who had bruises on his head and face, the man said he had been walking near the uh, uh, junior high school with a nine year old girl when he was attacked. A law enforcement official said the girl was believed to be his niece. She was unharmed. The police said the two men attacked him while, while shouting ISIS, ISIS, and punched him multiple times in the head. He fell during the assault, and the police said the suspects kicked him while he was on the ground. He was transported to the medical center, treated, and, and released. The incident is being investigated by the Hate Crimes Task Force, the police said. Meanwhile, that was New York. Out here in California, the lawyer for a California man who was sentenced to one year in jail making threats towards the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, said that Tuesday, said on Tuesday that his client was provoked by alcohol and a week of binge-watching Fox News.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man.
1: This, is according to uh, KFMB, local TV station uh, in La Mesa. La Mesa resident John David Weisinger pled guilty last year to making email and telephone threats to CARES San Diego and Washington, D.C. office. His lawyer, Michael Maloney, uh, attributed his behavior to alcohol abuse and to having spent a week watching Fox News coverage of the 2015 terror attacks at the Paris headquarters of satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo, which left 11 dead. Now, do you remember, Des, when uh, a few years back, I can't remember which year this was, but the, this guy was stopped on his way to a massacre up in uh, Northern California. I think he was heading to towards the, the Tides Foundation. Right. This group, this liberal or progressive group. Uh, Group, I, I'm not even sure. It's a nonprofit umbrella yeah.
0: organization that helps other nonprofit groups, uh, you know, promote peace and understanding between cultures.
1: I had never heard of of that group, uh, frankly, before until this happened. Until police stopped this guy with uh, pipe bombs and, and semi-automatic rifles, he was headed on his way to do a massacre at the Tides Foundation. And, again, I had never heard of it, and then it turned out, oh, Glenn Beck, back when he was on Fox. Was going after the Tides Foundation was was saying that they're I don't know what the hell he was saying, but one thing after another liberal. He basically this, likened that.
0: them to to being you know similar to socialists and communists and the Soviet Union.
1: So you know when you get a microphone when you get a camera in your face, especially when you're Fox News. But I mean I think about it even on my little radio program here. Uh, but certainly when you're talking to millions and millions of people as they are on Fox News, you would think you would. You would ponder, as I do, the effect of the words you say, the things that you say. Apparently not so on Fox News. Uh, this works out just great for them. Gin up fear, gin up anger, and then hope that the fear and anger that you've ginned up doesn't result in, uh, in a massacre. Uh, Weisinger, this guy uh, who, who's blaming Fox News, Uh, had pled guilty to hate crime uh, allegations, making criminal threat, possession of an illegal assault rifle. He wept while his sentence was read. According to the video on KFMB, a female employee at CARES office had testified during the trial that Weisinger left a voicemail in January of 2015 threatening to shoot her and other employees she said that she, had been, uh, that she had seen him hanging around the office in the weeks before the voicemail was left and gave police his name after seeing it on the caller ID. So this was a very real threat. This guy had a rifle. He was hanging around the office. This could have ended far worse than it did. KFMB reports that Weisinger also admitted to sending CARES Washington, D.C. office An email saying that he was going to come out. uh, He was going to come there with enough firepower to, quote, kill all of you. CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, has faced a number of other threats in recent months, many of them in the immediate aftermath of terrorist attacks. In early December, a man left voicemails at the organization's St. Louis, Missouri office, threatening to cut off Muslims' heads. Just a few days later, the group's D.C. offices were evacuated after the group received a letter with a powdery substance that suggested its recipients would die a, quote, painful death. Heck of a job, Fox News. Keep up the good work. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast, and we are back with the craziest thing I've ever heard. (laughs)
2: Does
0: that make
1: me crazy? So yeah. Welcome back to the broadcast. <laughs> is it. Uh, am, am I crazy or is it snowy out there? I guess that would be one way to put it. Uh, as I know, a lot of our listeners are uh, trying to stay warm and dry. Today And uh, for uh, the next several days, no doubt. Thank you for uh, sticking with us here. This is the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. All right. uh, Des, uh remember when uh, Stephen Colbert used to have this uh, back on his old show on the Colbert Report? He used to do that thing about the Well, let's we'll just we'll just play it because he's not using it anymore. He's not doing as far as I know. He's not doing this bit anymore on the new show on the late show. So I think it's okay if we just go ahead and 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 steal it uh, from Stephen Colbert.
2: Folks, when something truly unusual comes along, I drop everything to tell America about the craziest thing I've ever
1: heard. Yes, we have the craziest thing Stephen Colbert has ever heard. Uh, and I've been trying to get to that. We've got actually a number of crazy things here because I feel like, you know what, if it's going to be, if everybody's going to be stuck inside uh, on the East Coast curling up to the radio, you know, they, maybe they need some some fun, crazy stories to think about. So according to AP, a city official. In Rhode Island, this is Cranston, Rhode Island, a city official who wanted to include an elderly woman in a photo op about a snow shoveling program persuaded a middle aged man to dress up in a wig, earrings, lipstick and a dress. The man stood next to uh, next to the mayor of Cranston at a news conference touting the program and wore a name tag that said Cranston senior home resident. Yeah, I know. Uh, WJAR TV uncovered the ruse. Uh, It is unclear why officials decided to use a stand in for a woman during the January five news conference, which was held at the senior center where the man worked as a van driver, the man who had dressed up in a wig and earrings and lipstick and a dress. I what know. Were they thinking? I have no idea. Sue Stenhouse, the city uh, city's director of senior services, organized this news conference. She has now resigned according to Rob Coop, the city direct city's director of administration, but Stenhouse who did this for some reason, uh, was the 2006 Republican nominee for secretary of state what? in Rhode Island. Oh, my. She did not return messages uh, requesting comment by the AP. Uh, Coop refused to explain what happened, saying that it was a personnel matter. Mayor Alan Fung, the, uh, 2014, the mayor, was the 2014 Republican nominee for governor. And this this guy dressed up as a woman was standing next to him uh, because he's the mayor. Uh, he neither did he return a phone message seeking comment. People who answered the phone at the senior center said that they had no comment. Meanwhile, a hair salon owner, Elaine Mancuso, told WJR TV that she unwittingly supplied the wig for this caper. To David Roberts, the van driver who transports seniors to the salon. Roberts did not immediately return a message left at his work. Mancuso said, uh, he says to me, Elaine, do you have a wig that I could borrow? I have to get dressed as a senior. She later realized why he wanted it. I said, "Oh my God, he wanted it for that." I probably would have given him a better wig if I had known. Have you seen this picture, Desi? <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay, so but this I think is it's like, hilarious look, that there the, Oh, that is a horrible wig. No, no, that's not the wig. That's actually, I think, the 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 woman who did it. Look in the bottom right.
0: Oh. Wow. <laughs> that's oh, that's even worse. I know. What? I still don't know what they were thinking, I but I think it's hilarious that the salon owner was embarrassed that she gave him a bad bad advertising. Exactly.
1: Uh, and he's this little, he looks like a little short kind of rotund uh, guy in glasses and this ridiculous wig.
0: Kind of like, uh, remember in the Carol Burnett show.
1: Yeah, oh, exactly. When, like mom, yes. the, the, the mother the grand, and that, yes, that sketch they did. Yeah. That's kind of what he looks like why i have no idea but as stephen colbert might say
2: that's the craziest thing i've ever heard
1: (laughs) so there you go yeah pretty crazy uh still no real uh explanation for why the hell that happened Uh, speaking of crazy but also crazy dangerous Police in a Seattle suburb have arrested a man who they believe accidentally shot a woman at a Thursday night screening of Michael Bay's Benghazi thriller. According to the Seattle Times, the uh, 29-year-old man brought a loaded gun to a showing of 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, at the Regal Cinemas in uh, Renton, Washington. The man, uh, who police believe was intoxicated, fumbled with the gun, which accidentally discharged, hit a 40-year-old woman seated nearby in the shoulder. The report uh, from the police did not specify the type of firearm. I should say the the report from the Seattle Times did not specify what type of firearm that the man was carrying. The woman was in in a serious but stable condition. She's in intensive care at Harborview Medical Center. According to the paper, the suspect reportedly left the theater after the shooting and went to a restaurant in the vicinity where witnesses saw him drop the gun. Oh, my gosh. On the floor and pick it back up.
0: Responsible gun owner.
1: Yep. He turned himself in shortly afterwards, according to the Times. Washington State, we should note, is an open carry state. So, what could possibly go wrong with these open carry laws? Uh, oh, especially at a Ben and he was going to see the Benghazi movie. So maybe you can guess what his politics are. Walking around with a gun, genius. Uh, speaking of geniuses with guns in open carry states, uh, does your home state of Texas comes oh, into boy. this story? <laughs> a Texas man uh, accidentally shoots himself in the foot in church. This was uh, reported uh, today, Uh, it happened on Wednesday evening, apparently a man accidentally shot himself in the foot in a church in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Uh, He he accidentally shot himself in the foot in church, according to the Longview, Longview News Journal. The man accidentally discharged his pistol in the Davis Street Baptist Church. In their Family Life Center, according to the News Journal, he sustained minor injuries. Nobody else was hurt, according to police. Texas's brand-new open-carry law went into effect at the beginning of this year and is working out great already, isn't it? Uh, The law allows private businesses to ban the open-carry of firearms. The Catholic diocese in the state is putting up signs noting that its churches have banned weapons. They're banning liberty is what those uh, Catholics are doing. (laughs) Tyranny. Uh, The the liberty to shoot yourself in the foot, as this idiot did at the uh, Davis Street Baptist Church Family Life Center. So things are going well in the open carry states. He
0: needs protection at church from ISIS, I guess.
1: Yes, yes, he does. They could strike anywhere at any time. As we all know, you can never be too safe. The only thing that stops a bad ISIS guy with a gun is a good Texas... Anyway. Uh, all right. St- sticking on the theme of crazy. Back to Donald Trump for a, just a, 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 a mercifully short moment. A Republican uh, a candidate, Donald Trump, on Friday retweeted a photoshopped image of a former governor, Jeb Bush, standing outside of Trump Tower. Uh, holding a sign that says vote Trump. Well, that's cute. That's, you know, Photoshop. I think that was Michael Moore actually was was doing that some time ago holding. I can't remember what the sign was had to do with Trump or something anyway. Uh, so now it's a Jeb Bush holding a sign outside the Trump ta- Trump tower that says vote Trump. And Donald Trump retweeted the photo. The uh, uh, the, the text of the tweet said, poor Jeb. I could have sworn I saw him outside Trump Tower the other day, and then it included this picture. Very cute. The name of the person who tweeted this, that Donald Trump retweeted, the uh, Twitter name of this person, was at White Genocide TM. Oh, my. (laughs) The user who Trump retweeted uh, had set its location to, quote, Jewmerica. The user's bio also links to a documentary that bills itself as, quote, the untold story about the most reviled man in history, Adolf Hitler. And uh, he retweeted it. Now, this would not be the first time that Trump has kind of embarrassed himself based on his retweets. And anybody, listen, anybody can retweet somebody. You have no idea who it is you're necessarily retweeting. Uh, You can't be held accountable for that unless their name happens to be White Genocide. You'd think you might be a little bit more careful with that. Trump, careful. Well, yeah. So this wouldn't be the first time he's had a problem uh, similar to this. Uh, Trump thanked a Dutch white supremacist in October for supporting him. The, uh, the, the tweet at the time uh, was sent to Donald Trump. It said, I truly believe you are the best. Qu- uh, hashtag make America great again. Donald Trump retweeted that and added, thank you so much. And then if you looked at this particular user, His name was keksek.org. His uh, profile says, stop white genocide, white preservist, Dutch patriot, race war, when? Charming. Lovely fella. Uh, and and uh, Donald Trump apparently agrees, and he's doing very well by these white supremacists who are spending a lot of money supporting Donald Trump in the early voting states with their with their robocalls around the state. All right. But it's not, of course, it's not uh, just folks on the right. At least they don't think, well, I don't know where this guy falls. Uh, I've been trying to get to this for a while. Uh, you know, I get uh, the Secretary of State out here in California sends me, I get some on their mailing list, they send me their... Uh, Proposed initiatives when they enter circulation for for signatures
0: for statewide ballot initiatives Correct. to be applied to the next ballot.
1: Well put, thank you. And uh, you know we talk a lot about denialists on this show. Climate change denialists. I I, and I can only guess we're going to be talking about them in the days ahead as uh, snowzilla uh, slams, uh, much of the country, but, uh, it's not just the right-wing climate change deniers who do this, this initiative, and I don't know if it's going to get on the ballot or not. I've been trying to get to this for a while. Uh, but this is called, uh, the, the title used here is speech Holocaust denial restrictions. This is an initiative statute. This would, if it gets onto the ballot and if it's approved by voters, In the state of California, it restricts speech that lobbies against the recognition of the Jewish, Armenian or Ukrainian holocausts at any school, educational institution or museum that receives state funds. Yeah, I know. Prevents Holocaust denial organizations as defined from disseminating information and conducting activities on the premises of these institutions or involving the employees, clients or students of these institutions. Permits injunctive relief and damages against the Holocaust denial organizations that commit violations. Uh, Now, listen, I'm, I'm not in favor of Holocaust denialism. But do we really want to start having the government decide what people can and cannot say, even when it's something appalling like uh, what Holocaust? The Holocaust never happened. That's just a, you know, fakery by the Jews or whatever it is. These uh, I- these idiots say, w- would you support uh a-
0: Absolutely not. That's a, that is it's blatantly unconstitutional on its face to be able to have government ban any kind of speech. We, that, that seems to me obvious. But what I don't I understand like is there no-brainer. is there some kind of pressing need that someone saw to crush the last remaining Holocaust deniers who might step onto the premises of one of these organizations to say something? I mean, really?
1: I have no idea. I did not know that uh, Holocaust denialism and. Uh, Actually, Armenian uh, genocide denialism, there's, there's quite a bit of that. Um, but, I, you know, the idea that the government should do this in any way, shape, or form, what part of the First Amendment do you not understand? I mean, it's easy, as they say, you know, it's easy to defend free speech when you agree with it. Obviously, I wouldn't agree with, uh, you know, the people that this uh, initiative talks about but I will support their right to be absolutely wrong and uh, to, to make it illegal. Anyway, um, the, the, um, the statutes, or I should say the initiatives, these ballot initiatives, uh, when they go on the ballot here in California, they must include the, the text of what they're going to do and the fiscal impact of any particular initiative. This one, uh, the statement says, given its restraint on free speech, a court may find this measure unconstitutional. If so, it would have no fiscal effect.
0: (laughs) you got to bless their hearts there at the Secretary of State's office. They really did have to sit down and do the math. Well,
1: actually, I think this would be the Attorney General who puts together that. The Attorney General. I think, yeah. Whoever this was, they went on to say, if the measure could be implemented legally, the annual cost to state-funded educational institutions is unlikely to be significant statewide, but the cost for a particular local government in a particular year might be uh, significant if it is sued and found to have violated the provisions of this measure. So there you go. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess there's idiots and, and denialists and people who hate free speech everywhere okay uh, our, our last uh, last item I want to get get to here before we get out uh, a little bit of listener mail uh, this comes from uh, well we'll just call him Fred he's a, uh, a longtime listener apparently and um this was in regard to our coverage uh, a, a week or so ago. Man, has it been? It feels like forever since the last Democratic debate. That feels like forever ago.
0: That was like last year, surely, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, no, <laughs> it was just, it days just days ago. Just
1: days ago. Of course, uh, if you heard our coverage, uh, uh, you'll remember uh, comedians Jimmy Dore and Hal Sparks were on the program to analyze the debate for us. Did one hell of a job, frankly.
0: Hilarious. If
1: you missed it, you should go back and, uh, and listen to it. Uh, You can download it at bradblog.com, etc. And uh, so this is about uh, Clinton's charge that um, Hillary Clinton's charge that Bernie Sanders wants to scrap the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, and scrap Medicare and scrap Medicaid, a charge that I think is a bit unfair, even though technically it would be true if he put in place a single payer program because it would replace Obamacare and Medicare and Medicaid and so forth. Or if it was, you know, Medicare for all, then you would have that. So I think it's a bit unfair of, of Hillary Clinton uh, to make that particular charge, but we debated it. And Hal Sparks, who was uh, a supporter of, of Hillary Clinton's, d- did a fine job of, of defending it in any case. Uh, Fred writes to us as you can at bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, Fred emails, Dear Brad, I enjoyed very much your program with the two comedians debating the latest Clinton-Sanders square off. I had the very good fortune in 2002 to attend a seminar session with Senator George McGovern, who said, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, quote, If I were still in the Senate, I would introduce to my colleagues a one-sentence bill. Quote, Congress hereby authorizes full medical care, I'm sorry, full Medicare coverage, to all children five years and younger, then I would three years later introduce an amendment expanding it to eight years. This is paraphrasing uh, George McGovern. So you start with the kids and expand Medicare up from there. Uh, Fred goes on to say McGovern's clear point was that such a process would give us full coverage after a few years of modifications. Note that I heard him say this almost 14 years ago. Had this approach been taken then, our health care nightmare would be behind us, a dead memory of the past. Four years after McGovern's proposal, then-Senator Barack Obama told a union audience that, quote, with the White House and Congress in Democratic hands, we could have single-payer. That was in 2006. When he took office in 2009, he told us that single-payer was impossible since we would have to dismantle the system we had, starting from scratch, etc. He evidently forgot that we already have two single-payer systems. That would be Medicare and and the Veterans Administration, which is full socialized medicine. The sad reality is that no one gets within 10 statute miles of occupying the White House without demonstrating grotesque fealty to the insurance lobby, thereby dooming and damning any serious chance for serious reform, says Fred. The Sanders versus Clinton calculation is one that each voter needs to make for him or herself, along with individual conceptions of tactics and dreams, but there is no doubt in my mind that Clinton has the inside track at the nomination since she is such a darling of Goldman Sachs. Best, says Fred. Wow, way to go, there Fred. There you go. Good letter. Uh, thank you. And if you'd like to send me a similar one, you can do it. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. My thanks to you, Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and, of course, to all of uh, our listeners out there. We're hopefully staying warm and dry tonight. And oh, thank you to those who stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep doing what it is we do here on the Bradcast. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
0: Everybody.